sorry, I'm just doing a whole lot of things. Turn on my water. I'm dying. Pastor Chase normally leads worship, um, but today with that, I'm extra frothed already in my mouth. There's no coincidence, and I hope, I hope that what I'm about to say is understood um, by you in this place today. If you have been feeling a, a presence in this place, I can't speak for you, I don't know, but I'm going to speak to that. If you've been feeling a presence in this place, it's God, but in a way that has not yet been experienced, at least since I've been here, speaking from my experience. He's been here, but he's here in a fresh way that's more. So you need to receive today. You need to receive. I speak against the spirit of cynicism that's in this place today. I speak against unbelief that's in this place today. Because God wants to deliver you. Let's go to his word. In the book of Ephesians, and we're continuing in Ephesians chapter 1, specifically resuming from verse 15. My sermon title for you today is simply this, Stop Praying For. Dot, dot, dot. Stop praying for. I'm going to say something that might unsettle you for a second and might confuse you, and I don't want there to be confusion, so stick with me. As we were praying throughout this week here at 7 o'clock, I think it was Thursday night, within the first 20 minutes, I felt the Lord clearly tell me that while he is the supplier of all of our needs, and while he wants us to cast all of our anxiety on him because he cares for us, confess our need of him to intervene in our life circumstances, whatever they may be, relational, economic, emotional, psychological, spiritual, there comes a point where we need to stop asking God to constantly meet this trial, this adversity, this life problem that is like this to us. So fill in the blank with whatever your problem is that maybe you've been praying to God a lot for. And it's gargantuous to you. It's huge. How can I overcome this? I'm not saying that it's illegitimate, the problem that you're facing. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But when you constantly say, God, I've got this much of a problem. And let me tell you about the problem. On Tuesday, this is when the problem's the worst. When I go to work, the problem just manifests itself to such a degree, I can't even begin to put into words how difficult life is right now because of the problem. And so, Lord, I'm praying for you to deliver me from this problem. You need to understand this morning, based on what we're going to learn from Ephesians, is that so long as this is put in front of your view of God, 
this will always keep you from depending on him because you can't see him. You don't know him because this is constantly obstructing your view. I mean, I guess, yeah, thank you. The only way that I can illustrate this is, uh, other than what I just did, I need my tissue back. Sorry, not anymore. You ever known somebody who just can't be content? Come on. <laughs> Maybe you're that person. I think we're all that way, um, to a degree. But um, life's not good right now. I need a new haircut. Life's not good right now. I need a wardrobe update. Life's not good right now. I need to shed a few pounds. Life's not good right now. I need to go to a different school. My professors aren't just working out for me. Life's not good right now. I need a new church. I don't want to hear that here. <laughs> if you need that, then go ahead. <laughs> Love you. Here's one. Uh, life's not good enough. I got a 2017 Honda blank, whatever, I don't know. I was loving it. My coworker just got the new 2021. 2017's not good enough anymore. I need a new blank. Here's one for you. My marriage isn't working. It's time to have kids. I don't even have kids, and I know that's a problem. There's a lot. There's a lot, and I'm, we're not picking on anybody. We all fall prey to this temptation of trying to grasp for, for straws of things that we think we need in our lives. And we get on our knees and we say, God, life is so overwhelming because of blank. Therefore, I need. Lord, if I could just have. If you would just give, if you would deliver, if you would, and we go through the list. But like I just shared with you, and think about Peter when he walks out onto the water as Jesus is walking on the water towards him. And Jesus calls Peter to him, and Peter, by faith, steps out of the boat and in onto the water and walks on the water just as Jesus did towards him. And I love the gospel account because it is so vividly clear that Peter fixated his focus on Jesus. And if you think you're reading into that text, which I'm reading into the text, you're not because it says immediately following that the minute Peter allowed his focus to shift to the torrent, to the waves, to the adversity that was around him and off of Jesus, he started to sink. That is the best biblical proof that I can give you for where we're going today within a narrative. So stop praying for. Throughout the sermon, fill that blank in for yourself. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15 says this, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, Right here, I want to stop because Paul, in this section that we're about to go through from verses 15 through 23, 
does two things. The first thing he does and is, is only in this verse, in verse 15. He gives thanks. That's it. He gives thanks specifically for two particular characteristics that we see evidenced in the lives of the Christians in the city of Ephesus. They were filled with faith and had love for all of the saints. Now, let me talk about love for a second. Let me give you this, this statement, this point. Love for each other is proof of your faith in God. John chapter 13, verse 35 says this, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Paul, in this moment, is giving utter thanks to God and sharing that with the Ephesians, that great job. You are fulfilling what God intended to be one of the core values of a church. That they are, you're ready for it, you know it because it's our purpose as a church. That you would be known for love. And specifically we see here that this love is an action. Let me say it this way. Love can be, I, I like, I have my own definition, but I saw this and I wanted to change it up. Love is seeking the highest good in the one loved. So in other words, the one loved is the object of your action. My wife is the object of the actions that I'm going to take to either uplift her or break her down. Love is a willingness, even when I don't feel like it, to say she's the object of my attention. She deserves everything that I can give her. And our relationship with each other is no different. I need to do that for Brenda. I need to do that for Derek. I need to do that for Curtis. I need to do that for Linda. I need to do that for Bill. I need to do that for Adrian. I need to do that for all of you in this place and you to each other. And Paul is giving thanks because he says, I'm thankful to God that you exhibit that godly characteristic of showing love to each other. But further, that love is proof of the second quality that Paul is thankful to God for that the people in Ephesus had, faith. Let's talk about faith for a second. Now, what's interesting, one of the issues that was present historically within the city of Ephesus was the practice of witchcraft. It was one of the third largest metropolitan cities, biggest cities. Think like, I don't know, New York, Philly, Chicago. I don't know if those are the three largest metropolitan areas in our country, but let's just use those three. One of those three. It was the third largest, so it's not New York. It's not a Philly or Chicago. Within this city, not only was it the third largest within the entire Roman Empire, it was also the most accommodating to, I'm not joking you, wizards, Witches, magicians, charlatans, people who pretended and used it to make a living and swindle people. It was, Ephesus was like an open door, like, come on in. Don't want to pick on Vegas. Yes, I do. Um, Vegas with all of its casinos. Come on in. Enjoy the casinos. Atlantic City, come on in. Enjoy the casinos. Ephesus like, come on in. Get your, get your hands read. Get your, get your psychic reading. Get the cards out. Let me put a seance over you. This was literally practiced. So when Paul comes to first plant the church in Ephesus, I don't know if that's true. Let me be honest with you. 
I forgot right now. Paul might not have planted this church, but I know he visited Ephesus on two of his missionary journeys according to the book of Acts. Whether or not he planted it or he caused, he watered it, like he did, planted the seed means he planted the church, or he just found a group of people there and watered it, I can't remember right now. I'll clear that up next week. There was some work that needed to be done to bring the Ephesians out of their old way of life, which, let me be really honest with you, because we're not going to play games here. It's really bad when you're dealing with demonic, satanic things that you practice. It is. Now, the devil works through so many things. He works through so many addictions, so many personal feelings of insecurity that he wants to do to get a grip on your life that we need to be delivered from. But when you specifically forthrightly say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to practice witchcraft, I'm going to go and get my psychic reading, you are opening yourself up directly, not to something that is covert or subvert. It's, yes, this is satanic. And when you practice it, you're saying, I let you in. I know it. There's no ignorance in, in what I'm dabbling with. So Paul's speaking here to this church in Ephesus. This is some of the context that's there. Therefore, I think it's safe to assume that one of the primary reasons that he's writing this letter is to help equip us for spiritual warfare. Primarily, he's seeking that there be love and unity within the church, and we're going to see that all throughout. But we're also going to see Paul giving the tools to the people in Ephesus to equip them for spiritual warfare. Why? Based on the setting, it was needed for the church, which goes to show all the more why Paul was thankful that they had kept the faith. This was written, we know, Five years after Paul had made his final visit to Ephesus. So, again, whether he planted the church or not, did not, I'm sorry, I don't remember that. I'll let you know next week. But either way, he had ministered there. He had caused people to convert and receive salvation in Jesus Christ through his preaching and teaching and miraculous movement through the Spirit to be used by God. Then he leaves, and five years later, he writes this letter. He hasn't been there. There's no SMS. Why do, why do I say that? There's no text. SMS. What is, I don't even know what SMS means. I sound, I'm not going to say I sound old. Uh, there's people older than me in here. Um, there's no email. Correspondence through handwritten letters was not even to the degree that it is today of ease. So he doesn't know regularly updates about the condition of the people in Ephesus. But he hears, finally, through carriers that they've kept the faith. And they're growing because they're showing love for all the saints. And I know how hard that is considering the cultural melding pot that they are in in the city of Ephesus that forthrightly welcomes the enemy of God himself. But they're keeping the faith. And I thank God for that. Acts chapter 19, verses 11 through 20, give us insight into one of Paul's missionary journeys in the city of Ephesus. Let me read it for you. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, uh, were cured and evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. 
Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest, were the ones doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. Take note of that. They were all seized with fear when they heard what had happened. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor, regard. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. Stay with me, verse 19. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. I need to make a point. I want to preach on just that right there. But I can't. That scripture was read primarily as another proof text for you to see there was all of this going on in the city of Ephesus. And the believers who were there... Let me make my point. Don't allow what you had to dirty what you have. Paul, used by God, saw growth within the Ephesian church. But on this particular missionary journey, again, at least five years before he's writing Ephesus where he's giving thanks for them keeping the faith, there are some who are here present who heard about the seven sons of Sceva, these Jewish leaders who were known for driving out evil, pre, uh, evil spirits, go to the evil spirits and use the name of Jesus, listen to me, like a formula. They say, in the name of Jesus. And then they throw Paul in there. Because they know the power that Jesus and Paul have. And they use that almost as a badge. Of, I have the same power because simple association. It's not that simple. It says specifically that when all of the other Christians, the saints who had heard about this, they were filled with fear. Why? Because it revealed the fact that they were still living with a foot in each world. Living in Ephesus. And it says they went home, they grabbed all of their garbage, all of these satanic vices, brought them out publicly and burnt them, saying, I don't care if that represents a thousand years wages, I'm burning it because I'm filled with fear. Because I recognize that the name of Jesus only holds power when I maintain the integrity of it. I have no right to say in Jesus' name when I'm going around maligning his name through my actions in private. Don't allow what you have to dirty what you have. Ultimately, though, five years later, after all of this takes place, as we see in Acts 19 and probably more, Paul is thankful to God because they didn't. They maintained the integrity of the name of Jesus. And Paul says, thank you, God. Thank you that these people are upholding your name. Verse 16 and 17. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now, the specifics of the prayer. 
Now we move to the petitions of Paul. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Remember this? What is that? You got to be thinking about that right now. I want that in your mind. Whatever this is that you keep praying, God, overcome. Paul is saying, I now pray that you don't focus on this, but you focus on him. The word for wisdom here, that you would be given the spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, something imparted by God himself, literally means insight. I want you to be able to discern what I am believing God to reveal to you. The word reveal is disclose. Information that you have not yet been told. God, in accordance with Paul's prayer, will give you, disclose to you. What I think is interesting here is that Paul is praying for this to mature believers who have kept the faith through love for each other. So here's a little sub point. You might be praying that God would reveal more of himself to you, but you've still got some books to burn. You've still got some things that you need to go through your house. You need to pick up and you need to say, get out of here. I want nothing to do with this. Satan, you have no place in my house. You like this. We need to stop praying. God, show me how to overcome my problems. And you need to start praying. God, show me you. Focusing on yourself will only lead you to dwell on how impossible life can be. Listen to what I just said. Focusing on yourself. I need to lose weight. I need to look prettier. I need to learn to love myself. I need to get all of these bad things. Well, that's true. Get all these bad things in my life. Uh, let's start with those three. I need to look prettier. I need to lose weight. I need to love myself. I, 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 I have the ability, I can look to myself, I come within, I dig deep in, and I give myself the strength. I find strength when obviously there is no strength, but it's got to be in there somewhere. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. God, I pray that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we would know you better. You who are infinite and limitless in power and wisdom. Focusing on God provides you the perspective that my impossibility is God's opportunity. I can't do it, but he sure can. Give him the opportunity to be glorified through your circumstance. Give him the opportunity to use you as a witness to say, look what God did. I couldn't. He did. Verses 18 and 19a. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Underline that if you've got a Bible and you want to. The riches of his glorious inheritance. Underline that. In his holy people. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. Okay, let me make this point. We need to understand the past, 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 there we go, that word. Past, future, 
and present nature of our faith. Okay, so Paul prays that the Ephesians and by extension all of us would receive a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we would know God better. Now he fleshes that out because that's great, but what does that mean? And I don't think there's anything wrong with praying that, but why I love God's word is because once again, it never leaves you hanging. It's going to give you some more specificity. And Paul goes on, he says, okay, so this is specifically what I'm praying for that would be revealed to the Ephesians and would be revealed to us in this place today. Number one, it's enlightenment of the hope to which you were called. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you would know the hope to which you were called. You hope here has everything to do with expectation. Look at me, expectation. Not wishful thinking. Not wishful thinking. Not, oh man, I hope this is going to happen. But faith. Hope of your calling. Calling here is referring to the point of inception of salvation. When you got on your knees, you confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart, Jesus, you are Lord. And in that moment, what the Lord predestined would happen before the creation of the world happened. You were adopted into the family of God because you confessed your need of Jesus. So right here, Paul is saying, I pray that when they are tempted to focus on the adversity that seems insurmountable before them, that they would remember the past nature of their faith, that you brought them into your family. You who is in whom there is no darkness, looked upon utter sinful darkness and said, I adopt you and I will do the work to cleanse you so that you can be an eternal relationship with me. Future. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. The word inheritance throughout scripture is important. And it usually always pertains to that which we have waiting for us in heaven. Treasures that are being stored up for us in heaven that is ultimately the inheritance that God promised for us delivered through the person of Jesus Christ. That's true. Paul is not talking about that inheritance here. Let me give you a little bit more insight into the inheritance. Specifically, God is the recipient of the inheritance here. It says that the riches, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, skip the first one, now we're on the second one, in order that you would know the riches of, the, of his glorious inheritance in or found within his holy people. That's us. So that means that we are God's inheritance. Do you remember last week when we talked about the Holy Spirit? Specifically, we saw from Paul that the Holy Spirit is, acts as a seal that marks us. In other words, we belong to the king. And not only that, the Spirit acts as a deposit, a down payment, wherein God says, I give you my spirit, and we look to John, and we look at the fact that he's our counselor, our helper, our friend, which is true. But in Ephesians, the spirit, as that deposit, is acting as proof that God's saying, I'm coming to claim what is rightfully mine. I created you. I gave you hope. You squandered it. I didn't have to, but I love you so much 
that I gave my one and only son that anyone who would believe and call upon the name of the Lord would be adopted into the family of Jesus. And I'm going to claim what's mine. I've paid the price with Jesus, but he's coming back to intercede on your behalf in heaven. But he's not going to leave you alone. I'm leaving the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, to guarantee I'll be right back. We're God's treasure. We realize that. We realize that. We always look to God as our treasure, which is true. But do you understand? We're God's treasure. He looks at us as an inheritance, something that he covets. He can't wait to receive one day. He could take it in a moment if he wanted to. But he's waiting for us. He's giving us the opportunity to fix our eyes on him, to call on him, because the Lord wishes that none would be lost, but that all would be saved. God wants all of his children to know him. That's the future aspect of our faith, that we need God to, through the spirit of wisdom and revelation, enlighten the eyes of our hearts. But then finally, getting back to where we started, we have a present understanding of our faith. Paul says now in this third part of verses 18 and 19 that I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened in order that you might know the his incomparably great power for us who believe. Incomparably great power here literally can be translated as to throw over or beyond the mark. So think about how far you can throw a football, a baseball, anything. And imagine there's just a line. And that's the farthest that anybody's ever been able to throw. God can throw far beyond comprehension, way past that line. And it's interesting here because the words that are used are so explicit as as we'll see later on, continuing in verses 19 through 23, where Paul is going to flesh out the understanding of what this power is that helps us in our present circumstances. He uses every word in the book for power. I didn't even write it down, I don't remember. I know dunamis is one of them. The other one starts with an E in the Greek language. I don't remember. But he goes through and he's, he's trying to exhaust every form of explanation in a known language to say, God can do what you cannot Take it to the bank. Trust it. I can't explain it enough. I, I want to get blue in the face. Paul knows that the present circumstances are daunting. However, he is here showing us a deeper revelation of the power that is readily and constantly available to all believers. Verses 19 through 23 is where we finish it up. That power, listen, he, he's about to take three and a half verses to explain the third of his petitions. So it's important. That power is the same mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head 
over everything for the church. Listen, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Verse 21. Verse 21 specifically recalls the Ephesians' past with evil practices and demonstrates Christ's immeasurable power over that past life. When Paul writes, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come, this is Paul exhausting all measurable means to let the Ephesians know you might be rooted in a society that's leading you or showing you or tempting you to go back to the lies that you came out of when you called upon the name of the Lord. You might be tempted to go back to that witchcraft. You might be go tempted to go back to those tarot cards. You might be tempted to go and read Ouija boards, psychic. You might be tempted to think that an enlightenment, a new age idea of wisdom is the way where and I just need to center myself and I need to dig deep within and I can find the answers. That is a demonic lie. That's going to keep you from being able to experience the fullness of him that is Jesus. Recognize that the same power that conquered death lives in you. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him, Jesus, to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. We have the image of a body here. Paul uses it again in Corinthians. The body is us here, the church. What causes the body to function? The head. Without the head, this cannot function. This cannot move. This cannot feel. This cannot experience. All of this incredible power that has been given to Jesus, who is the head, was given for the sake of the body. This power that is far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion over every name and in this present age and the one to come was given for this body. And it's that power that has the power to defy death itself. pastor that I served under who did Pastor Chase and Katrina's wedding yesterday that I value dearly always used to say something interesting. There's one true statistic that can never be proven wrong. One out of every one person is going to die. Sorry, I know that's depressing. But there's something that's 100% true. I mean, there are other things, but that one nobody can defy. You can't. We can try to prolong life. We can live it to the best of our ability and make it comfortable. We all are going to die. Let me tell you this. You're all going to go to eternity one day if you believe in Jesus. You're going to go to heavenly eternity if you believe in Jesus. That's certain. You can't stop it. And it's something that you should anticipate with great expectation as you live this life on earth, pressing on toward the goal to win the prize for which Christ has called you heaven. God has called you heavenward in Christ Jesus. But Jesus is the one who made all of that possible. Jesus is the one who said death is not the end. De- death is not your end. Your story isn't over. 
This is, ju- this is just the smallest little whiff of smoke in eternity that you're living in right now. That God is going to bring you out of one day. That he gives you, that he gave you the ability through Jesus Christ. That power that proved its dominance over the one certainty that no one on God's green earth has ever had the ability to stop, to, to formulate a special antidote so that we would never die and live forever. The one thing on this earth that man is completely powerless to stop. Jesus Christ kicked, held down, ripped the keys from, and went back to heaven. And he's the head of the church. The head of the body, which is us. That power, that same power that conquered the grave, lives in you. So what you need to understand now is that there is no fear in Jesus. There can't be fear when you call upon him. You cannot allow the enemy to lie to you to the extent that this is now keeping you from focusing on what lives within you. You don't need to look around to the world to find the answer that lives in you. It's proven through the Spirit. So here's the bottom line for today that I hope you walk out of here. Really remember, stop praying for and recognize the revelation. Stop. I don't really mean don't ever pray for help anymore. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that you shouldn't call on God when you're in need. Of course do that. But don't become, as one pastor put it, a professional complainer. Because then you're just going to get into the habit of you like complaining because you like the attention. You don't even want to go that far, but I just like calling it out. I'm sorry, that's harsh, but we got to be real about that. Otherwise, how are we going to ever find deliverance and experience freedom from the thing that we so desperately want to get? Do you want to get rid of it? All right, give it to God. Present the facts. Proclaim your need of him. Ask for prayer. And then move. Stop standing where you are. Stop holding on to your books. Burn them. They were, let's go back to Acts chapter 19 in that moment. Just just please track with me. They heard what had happened because they realized we're just like those seven sons of Sceva. We're just like them because we are still holding on to the things that are evil and wicked. And they went and they confessed. They confessed, I've been living with a foot in each world. I'm not fully living for the Lord. And I know that the only way I'm going to be able to experience deliverance from demonic strongholds is when I confess it, go take it, and burn anything that's going to lead me back to it. So I know that some of you are going to leave here today and there's probably already a weight on your heart of things that you know you need to get rid of. I'm telling you that you are going to try to justify the the reason to keep them. You're going to justify it. It might be an electronic device. You might be thinking, I can't live without an electronic device. You can find a way. I can't live without Instagram. You can find a way. Social media. You 
you can find a way. I can't live without this food. You can find a way. I can't live without, oh man, I don't know, more political jargon that, that really, uh, oh, I need it. No, you don't. No, you don't. The enemy is using that, but you think, no, I'm being a good citizen. I know America. I, I'm keeping up with all the current events. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. Of course you should. But to what degree does it absolutely consume your life to the extent that God is lost in all of it? Stop praying for. Recognize the revelation. Listen to me. That is. You don't need to fight for it. You don't need to beg for it. You don't need to earn it. Paul says it's here. I thank God for the faith that you have exhibited through the love that you show one another. Now I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened in order that you would receive a spirit of wisdom and revelation in order that you would know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you would know the hope of your calling. That you would know the glorious, his glorious riches that are within the saints and you would know the power, the immeasurably great power of him that has called you. You are free. You are free in Jesus' name. Jesus, I rebuke in your name every lie of the enemy. I rebuke in your name every evil spirit that is plaguing individuals in this place. In Jesus' name. The honor and the integrity of that name that I choose to uphold in that name I know I have been given power as the body of Christ and I walk forward in that power and I allow that power to be exercised through me in Jesus name and God would you deliver people in this house today right now Jesus would you allow evil spirits to be rebuked in Jesus' name, right now. Jesus, for those who are watching online in their homes right now, deliver them in Jesus' name. Show them. Give them that spirit of wisdom and revelation, I pray. Church, would you stand on your feet with me this morning? There's a song by Hillsong, a bridge, I don't remember the title of the song, but the bridge of it is exactly word for word what I said to you a moment ago. The same power that conquered the grave lives in me. The same power that conquered the grave lives in me, lives in me. Same love that rescued the earth lives in me, lives in me. Same power that conquered the grave lives in me, lives in me, lives in us. 
So, Lord, today I pray that as we leave this place, we would be filled with the assurance of wisdom and revelation that was given us in your word today. Would we not allow the lies of the enemy to supersede the severity and the absolute nature of your word? Lord, I pray that you would continue to pour out your spirit in our lives. You would continue, continue, God, what has begun in the year 2021. Lord, would it not go away? Would your spirit not be quenched? Would we not allow any of the lies of the enemy to remove us from all of the freedom, all of the blessing, all of the hope, all of the opportunity to glorify you? Would we not allow any lies to remove us from that? But would we live fully for you moving forward this day? Insecurity has no place. Cynicism has no place. Unbelief has no place. Lies has no place. Lust has no place. Unforgiveness has no place. Hatred has no place. Jesus, as we leave here today, let us walk in new life new hope. Lord, we realize that. Jesus, again, we thank you for, for what you're going to do. Keep all of your people throughout this week. Watch over them, protect them physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And I pray that they would have such a conviction and such a passion to live wholeheartedly for you in everything that they say, in everything that they do, until we gather once again together. I give all of this to you. I thank you in advance for it. And in that name in whom all honor there is that we in this place hold in the highest regard, we together say amen. Amen. Come on, give God praise.